0: Let's bow together for a word of prayer and ask the Lord's blessing on the ministry of the word this evening. Father in heaven, help us to give attention to your word proclaimed. We thank you for the rich truths that are contained within the scriptures. Help us, Lord, to believe them sincerely. Help us to live according to them. We thank you for this teaching that we have been receiving concerning the wonderful benefits that are ours if we are in Christ Jesus. Uh, These benefits are ours Only by the grace of God alone. Uh, Father, we have done nothing to deserve these benefits, but you have given them freely. And I do pray for the people of God, myself included, that we would not grow complacent, uh, but that we would forever stand in awe of how rich we are in Christ Jesus. Also, I pray that as we consider your free grace, that it would not allow us to slip into sin, assuming that our sin does not matter. Certainly it does. But, O Lord, I pray that we would be won by your love and that our love for you would be great and sincere. Father, help us to obey you because we love you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. The question that we are considering today, Baptist Catechism number 38, is what is sanctification? And I'd like you to repeat after me, as is our custom. A sanctification, is grace, sanctification is the work of God's free grace, whereby we are renewed in the whole man, the whole man. After, the God, after the image of God, and are enabled more and more, and more, and more. to die unto sin. and live unto righteousness. righteousness. The scripture reading for this evening is Proverbs 3, verses 1 through 12. Proverbs 3, 1 through 12. There we read, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments, for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. And all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. And turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the firstfruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father the son in whom he delights." So far the reading of God's holy word. May he add his blessing to the preaching of it this evening. The question that is before us this evening is, what is sanctification? We are to remember that sanctification is the third of the three fountainhead blessings that our catechism identifies as belonging to those who have faith in Christ. I call them fountainhead blessings because there are other blessings, of course. Indeed, many other blessings, but these other blessings that we will soon discuss either accompany or flow from these three that are first mentioned. Justification, adoption, sanctification. To be justified is to be pardoned. That is to say, to be declared not guilty and made righteous in God's sight. To be adopted is to be received into God's family as beloved children. And it should not be difficult for you to see that there are, of course, many other blessings that come along with with these blessings that we have already considered. They either accompany them or flow from these benefits. But as I have said, sanctification is the third of the three fountainhead blessings that are identified in our catechism. What is sanctification, we are asking And the answer provided by our catechism is very good. It is very carefully worded. It's very brief. And it is a true summary of the teaching of Holy Scripture. Uh, The first thing that our catechism says is that sanctification is the work of God's free grace. That, That phrase should sound very familiar to you by now. Remember that both justification and adoption were called an act of God's free grace. So whatever we say about sanctification... We must begin by confessing that it is God's work. It is God's work. And also we must confess that it is by His grace. We are justified, adopted, and sanctified by God. And these three benefits come to us as a gift from God. We do not earn them in any way. They do not come to us because we are deserving, but because God is gracious and He is kind. The introductory phrases to the questions regarding justification, adoption, and sanctification are very similar, but perhaps you noticed a very slight difference in the answer regarding sanctification. Whereas justification and adoption are said to be an act of God's free grace, sanctification is said to be the work of God's free grace. And there is a reason for the change. It's not just that the framers of our catechism, we're wanting to introduce a little bit of variety here. There's a reason for the change. Justification and adoption are called an act of God because they are things that happen to us in a moment. In a moment, God justifies us. In a moment, God adopts us. There is nothing Progressive about justification. There is nothing progressive about adoption. One moment we are not justified and the next moment we are. One moment we are children of wrath, the next moment we are beloved children of God. It is an instantaneous thing. And neither is there anything required for us to receive these benefits, justification and adoption, except faith, which is also a gift from God. And so justification and adoption are rightly called acts of God. But sanctification is called the work of God. And this is a fitting description. One, sanctification is a work that God does in us. Two, though sanctification is God's work ultimately, we do also contribute to it as we pursue holiness and maturity by God's grace. And three, though sanctification is in one sense an instantaneous act of God, It is, in another sense, a progressive work. Your sanctification, friends, is a work in progress. And you know this to be true, don't you, from experience. Your sanctification is not instantaneous, but is, in a sense, a work in progress. Sometimes the progress is very slow. Sometimes the progress is very difficult. And so, because of these things, it is fitting that sanctification is called The work of God and not an act of God. As in the previous two questions, the word whereby signals that we are about to be told what sanctification involves. And two things are to be noted. One, the one who has faith in Christ is sanctified personally and positionally the moment they believe. That is one thing that we are to notice, and we will explore that further in just a moment. One, the one who has faith in Christ is sanctified personally and positionally the moment they believe. And two, the one who has faith in Christ is sanctified also progressively throughout the Christian life. It is a process that will only be finished when Christ returns to make all things new, or the Lord calls us home through death. And so first of all, let us consider our personal and positional Sanctification. This is what our catechism is referring to when it says that sanctification is the work of God's free grace whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God. To be sanctified is to be made holy. That is what the word means, to be set apart as holy. And there is a sense in which this happens really, truly, and fully at the start of the Christian life, the moment we believe. We are in a moment changed from being unholy holy, We are, in a moment, set apart from the world and unto God. This is our positional sanctification. It happens the moment we believe. Paul uses the word sanctified in this sense when he greeted the Corinthian church, saying, Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Here, when Paul uses the word sanctified, I think he is referring to that positional sanctification. He is writing to a group of Christians, a church, and he is saying that they have been, notice the past perfect tense here that is being used uh, in, 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 this, uh, in this context, he is saying, you have been sanctified. You, you have been set apart by God. You are no longer a part of the world, but you are the church of God. You, are, you belong to the Lord. You bear his name. This is positional uh, sanctification. He speaks of sanctification here in this First Corinthians passage as something accomplished perfectly in the past. There, they were set apart to the Lord And so it is for you. If you are in Christ Jesus, you have been set apart from the world to be holy and to belong to God. Positional sanctification. But we are also personally sanctified the moment we believe. And and by personally, I mean we are changed to the very core of our being. Our catechism uses the word renewed. We are renewed in the whole man after the image of God. So, we have talked about positional sanctification. Now, we are referring to this personal sanctification. We are renewed in the whole man after the image of God. And that is instantaneous. That happens fully, completely, the moment we believe upon Christ, even in regeneration prior to faith. Uh, This reference to the image of God is very helpful, I think. We are renewed in the whole man after the image of God. It reminds us of what we learned earlier in our catechism about the creation of man. In question 13, I'm taking you way back to question 13 here. We learned that God created man, male and female, after his own image in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness with dominion over the other creatures. So this was our original condition made in the image of God. And also upright, we had knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. And then in questions 16 through 22, we learned about man's fall into sin and its effects. Question 21 was particularly enlightening concerning the effects of sin. Wherein consists the sinfulness of that estate wherein to man fell was the question. Listen carefully to the answer. Be reminded of it. The sinfulness of that estate wherein man fell consists in the guilt of Adam's first sin, in the want or lacking of original righteousness and the corruption of his whole nature which is commonly called original sin together with all actual transgressions which proceed from it. It's a very helpful answer given to us here. We were created in the image of God and we were upright. We had pure knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. They are in the garden. That's what Adam and Eve possessed. But by their fall into sin, they were tainted. They lost their original righteousness. They were then guilty. Their whole nature was corrupted, you see. This is a great problem for all of mankind And if you wish to connect that section of our catechism which talks about our sin and its effects, that is questions 16 through 22, and the section that talks about our salvation in Christ Jesus and the benefits that accompany it. By the way, I think we should connect those two sections. After all, everything we learn about sin and its effects, it's going to have an answer, right, in that section that talks about our salvation. Christ has come to remedy all of that, to repair all of that, to restore us. We should notice therefore that justification which we have discussed takes care of the problem of the guilt of Adam's first sin and the want or lack of original righteousness there is our problem we are guilty before god and we do not have righteousness but we are born in sin rather born guilty well justification is the remedy to those things in being justified, we are, in a moment, declared not guilty, and also we have Christ's righteousness imputed to us. The righteousness that we lack because of our sin is given to us when we have faith in Christ. And now notice that personal sanctification takes care of the problem of the corruption of his whole nature that was mentioned back in question In answer 21, man is made in the image of God, but now that we are fallen into sin, man's nature is corrupt. Man's nature is corrupt. By the way, and this is a bit of a tangent from my manuscript here, there is a reason why legalism doesn't work. We discussed legalism in this morning's sermon. There is a reason why you cannot simply say to fallen man... Keep God's law and thus be saved. For one, man has already transgressed God's law and is therefore under God's wrath. But for two, man has a corrupt nature and is not able, therefore, to keep God's law from the heart. They might be able to conform to the standards that God has set before us sometimes, partially, externally, but not from the heart. They will not give glory to God from the heart in the way that we are called to by God's law. They will not obey God's commandments always, continuously, purely from the heart. We not only are guilty, we not only lack original righteousness, but we are also corrupt to the core of our being. And what I am saying is that personal sanctification, uh, this renewal that our catechism talks about, takes care of that problem when we are in Christ As the Holy Spirit works upon us, as we are born again, we are renewed in the whole man, in the image of God, in the image of God. In Christ, we are renewed. Uh, Paul speaks of this renewal in 2 Corinthians 5.17, saying, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. And and in Ephesians 4.20, he says, but that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. You hear the language that Paul is using there in Ephesians four twenty and following He is talking about being renewed, about being created after the likeness or image of God. He is talking about Christians having true righteousness and holiness now because they have been renewed in this way. If you are in Christ, you have a new self. If you are in Christ, you have been created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And it is this new self that you are to daily put on while you put off the old self. That Ephesians 4.20 passage that I have just read actually provides us with a wonderful opportunity to transition over to the idea of progressive sanctification. Perhaps you noticed that personal sanctification and progressive sanctification are intertwined in that passage that I have just read. Again... If you are in Christ, you have a new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. And what is Paul saying here in Ephesians 4.20? It is this new self that you are to daily put on. Learning to put off the old self and to put on the new self is a process for us. The process of renewal is only possible because we have been renewed. I think that is the point. The process of renewal that... That process of learning to be more and more holy is only possible because we have, in fact, been personally renewed. Personal sanctification, positional sanctification is what makes progressive sanctification possible. This is what our catechism is teaching when it says sanctification is the work of God's free grace, whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and, listen carefully, are enabled. More and more to die unto sin and to live unto righteousness. The word enabled is important. It helps us to see that we have a role to play in our progressive sanctification. We must choose to mature in Christ. We must choose to walk worthy and to be holy as God is holy We must choose to put sin to death and to live unto righteousness. And we must choose to put off the old self and to put on the new. There are many ways that we can talk about this. But there is a sense in which we must choose to be sanctified. We have a part to play in this. We have a role to play. And the word enabled indicates that. But it also reminds us that it is God who makes the progress possible. It is God who makes the progress possible. Possible. The progress is possible because God, by His grace, has sanctified us positionally and personally. And it is possible because God, by His grace, is, even now, finishing the good work that He has started within us. We have a part to play in sanctification, but it is God who enables the process. And I am sure of this, that He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ, Philippians 1.6. As we begin to move towards the conclusion, let me make some suggestions for application. First of all, if you are in Christ, then you ought to be eager to make progress in your sanctification. If you are in Christ, then you ought to be eager to make progress in your sanctification. Contentment is a very good thing, isn't it? The scriptures call us to be content, but complacency is deadly. And there is a difference between the two things. Let us be content, but let us never be complacent in the Christian life. Never should the Christian grow complacent, but should be eager to see whatever corruptions remain within them driven out. For this is the will of God. Listen carefully, brothers and sisters. Do you want to know what the will of God is for you? The scriptures reveal it. This is the will of God, your sanctification. Whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. That is 1 Thessalonians 4, 3-8. through 8. What is God's will for you, Christian? Well, there are many things that are hidden uh, concerning God's will for us in the future. Things that we could never know and will not know until we experience them. But God has revealed his will to us also. And he says that his will for us is that we... Progress in sanctification, that we abstain from sexual immorality, that we abstain from all evil, and that we pursue holiness in the whole of life. Do not be content, brothers and sisters, or complacent with your sin, but rather be eager to see it eradicated from you. Progress in your sanctification. Two, as you pursue sanctification, do not be so foolish to go it alone, but pursue it with the strength that God supplies Remember that sanctification is God's work, and it is He who enables the progress that we make. And so we are to abide in Christ. We are to walk in the Spirit. That means independence upon the Spirit. We are to make use of the means of grace that God has provided fellowship within Christ's church. The Word of God preached and read the sacraments and prayer. And how very important it is for us to pray For when we pray, we are taking a posture of humble dependence upon God, saying, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Surely you could hear that that theme in the Lord's Prayer that there is a posture of dependence There is a posture of dependence. If we hope to make progress in our sanctification, then we must begin here in prayerful dependence upon God who sanctifies his people. And three, let us understand how it is that God sanctifies us. Let us understand how it is that God sanctifies us. Indeed, he uses many things to sanctify us. He uses his word as it is read and as it is preached to teach us how to live in particular the spirit of god uses the law of god to show us our sin and to convict us of it god also uses other people to sanctify us i'm sure you've heard that famous proverb that iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another proverbs 27:17 god uses other people to sharpen us sometimes Positively, as we simply encourage one another in the Lord. Sometimes negatively, as we have conflict. The Lord uses even that to sanctify us. And God uses the circumstances of life to sanctify his people. And this is what I I wish to emphasize as we move to a conclusion, truly. God uses the circumstances of life to sanctify his people. The circumstances of life are like a refining fire. The Lord often uses them to drive away impurities, the impurities of pride, of love of self, and of love of the world. And this is why James says what he says, "'Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds.' For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. What James says is so counterintuitive, isn't it? Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, trials of all kinds. We are to take joy in them. We are to take joy in the sufferings of life. We are to take joy in the hardships of life. How could James say such a silly thing? How does he say this? After all, he was saying it to Christians who were suffering under persecution. It's not as if these trials that he was referring to were mild trials. They were sometimes very severe, and yet he says, Christian, you are to count it all joy. He could say it only because he knows that the circumstances of life, the difficult circumstances of life, are like a refining fire. They are used by the Lord to sanctify his people, and for that reason, we are able to count them joy. So how are you doing in that regard, brothers and sisters, as you suffer, as you struggle in this world, which I know that you do, we all do, are you counting it joy? Do you see that the Lord is using your present suffering to sanctify you further progressively? Are you convinced of it? Or have you believed the lie of the evil one that God is nowhere to be found in the midst of your suffering? He's distant from you. He does not care for you. This is all for nothing. That is the voice of the evil one. But the truth of God's word says, no. God uses the circumstances of life, the difficult ones, in order to refine his people, to sanctify them further. And this is why I read the proverb at the beginning of this sermon. My son, my daughter, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. Don't look down upon it. Don't be discouraged by it. Don't despise the discipline of the Lord or be weary of his reproof. For, you need to know this, the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. What a precious promise this is. What a wonderful truth that the people of God need to be reminded of continuously. The Lord does discipline us, sometimes severely. But he does it because he loves us. He does it so that we might be sanctified further. When we face trials and tribulations in this life, or when the Lord chastises us in some other way, we are to rejoice in it knowing that the Father loves us and is indeed working all things together for our good and for his glory. Let's bow together for a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your love for us. And... Though we do not always say this, and though we do not always feel this in the moment of difficulty, we are grateful that you discipline us. You have saved us, you have justified us and adopted us, and you are making us holy, you are sanctifying us, and we trust that that process is so very precious. And so, Lord, we do ask that you would discipline us. Lord, I pray that it would be possible for us to learn wisdom not through the difficult circumstances of life, but simply by taking up your holy scriptures and reading and then living in obedience to them. Lord, but where there is sin, where there is pride, where there is evil, Lord, where there is a love for the things of this world, Lord, drive those things out from our heart, even if it requires us to learn these lessons the hard way. Father, for my brothers and sisters in Christ who are perhaps doubting your love for them this evening, because of the difficulties of life, I pray that you would remind them powerfully of your love for them through your word and by your spirit and even through our fellowship together. May they be assured, Father, of your great love for them in Christ Jesus. May they never doubt it, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.